TheYeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. I'm looking out the window, and uh, a new snow is descending. <laughs> is descending on us here in Rockland County, New York. It is stunning, elegant, beautiful, refined, and brings me back to a very internal, innocent place. So I'm thankful to uh, the Creator for this morning and every morning. Today's class is dedicated by a very, very dear friend and one of the pillars of our classes, both pre-corona, midst-corona, post-corona, Reb Shalom Potash and his family in loving memory of Reb Shalom's father, the unforgettable Reb Yaakov Potash, Reb Yaakov Bireb Chanoich Henech and Ben Esther, whose yard site <coughs> was on Shabbos, Parshas Truma, the fourth day of Adar, Dalad Adar. Tehenish Mosei Tzrura, Betzer HaChayim. Some of you know the song Yaakov, you know the Yom Tov Erlich song Yaakov, sung by Avram Lefried, the story of Yaakov, Mitzamer Kand. So, <coughs> legend has it that this was Rabbi Yaakov Potash, whose yard site was just... Uh, Two days ago, Dalad Adar, Tehenish Mosit Surabitzer Hachayim, and may he be a good to better for you, Rab Shalom, and your entire family, and all of your loved ones, and for all of Kla Yisrael. And thank you very much for your ongoing generosity, friendship, and partnership. We are now in the first month, the first Adar. Everybody knows that every two, three years in the Jewish calendar, there's a leap year. And the leap year is expressed in the fact that the last month of the year has a double aspect to it. So there's not one other, but there's two others, which gives us 60 days of other, including Rishchidosh Adar Aleph, 30 days of the first other, 29 days of the second other, which begins, of course, on the 30th day of Shvat, which is Rosh Chaydesh Adar Aleph. This is one of those years when we have the two others, and the question, of course, is what happens with Purim, because Purim is celebrated on the 14th and 15th day of Adar, as the Megillah says. But when you have it, when you have two others, so the first Purim is called Purim Cotton. It's the small Purim. As the Mishnah says, that the difference between Adar Rishon and Adar Sheni there's not many differences, but the differences, the halachas of Purim, the reading of the Megillah, Matanas Lavyainam, etc. We do on the second Purim, we don't do it on the first Purim. The first Purim is called Purim Cotton, the small Purim. The second Purim is called Purim Gadol, the big Purim, the great Purim. And the reason for this uh, distinction is because the second Purim and the second other, in a month from now, is the great Purim, it's the grand Purim with all the celebrations of Purim. The first Purim is, so to speak, celebrated in a Purim modest or humble fashion. It's called Purim Katna Smolpur. What we're beginning to learning today is a sikha by the Lubavitcher Rebbe that the Rebbe said on Shabbos, Parshas, Kisisa, Shushan Purim Katan. In other words, the day after Purim Katan, it's called Shushan Purim Katan, the 15th day of the first month of Adar, which is called Shushan Purim Katan, in the year Tavshin Chav Zayin and Tavshin Mem Dalet, 1967 and 1984. First one I wasn't at, the second one I was at. <laughs> First one was before my birth, but the second one, Tavshim Amdal, and I was present. Shabbos Kisisa, Shushim 
the two Sichas were combined and published in Lakute Sichas volume 26 in honor about uh, in connection with Purim Katan, page 209, and that's what you have on your source sheets. It's in Yiddish. The Rebbe would speak in Yiddish, and many of the Sichas were published in Yiddish, but of course, as usual, I will, Be'ezer Hashem, translate and try to elucidate according to my understanding. Okay, this is, I chose this because it's connected to the time of the year, the first other, and next week is Purim Katan. Also, because it contains within it some extraordinary ideas, perspectives that are are rich, are illuminating, and bring so much depth and perspective to our daily lives as individuals and as 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 Klal Yisrael, the collective people of of Israel. Let's begin. Let's go right into it again. A few. On Zoom, you can open the chat on Zoom, and you have there the link to the source sheet. If you come to theyeshiva.net, you'll see Monday's class has the source sheets. We have it both on the right side of the video, open your source sheets, or below the video, if you want to download your source sheet on computer, print it out, etc. Purim Cotton, Aleph. Tersiyum von Shulchan Aruch Eirachayim is mit Halachas, Undinim from Purim Hilchis Megillah. Und in dem letzten Simen, Retzich wegen der Dinim von Yudalad, Vetasvav Adirishin. Which means as follows. Everybody knows that the code of Jewish law, known as the Shulchan Aruch, was authored by a man named Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo lived in Svas. Some say he came from Spain, he was from the exiles of Spain. But he lived in Svas. And he authored this seminal work, Shulchan Aruch, which became the code used by all of the Jewish people in all communities. He lived in the 1500s in Svas, and the Shulchan Aruch is divided into four separate sections. The first section, called Erechayim, which means the path of life, deals with the daily schedule of a Jew. It starts off with the laws of waking up in the morning, the laws of the blessings in the morning, the laws of putting on tzitzis, the laws of putting on tefillin, the laws of saying shema in the morning, the laws of davening. It also discusses those laws that come once a week or once in a while, like the laws of Shabbos, the laws of Pesach, the laws of Yom Tif, etc. Then you have Yeridei, that deals with, like a lot of the laws of Kashrus, different halachas, the laws of shechita, the laws of kashras, the laws of meat and milk, the laws of uh, of salting meat, preparing meat, the laws of um, if non-kosher if mixes into kosher, the laws connected to uh, all different types of foods and foods that are permissible and foods that are forbidden. There's Evan HaEzer that deals, with, it also deals with other general halachas like the laws of charity, the laws of... Uh, respecting parents. It's not the Erechayim part of, of the daily, it affects the daily life of the Jew, but it's general, various general halachas. And then there's Evan which deals with marriages and marriage relationships and divorces and Chesh Mishpat, which is business law, civil relations in terms of business, partnerships and loans and custodians and theft, etc., damages. 
The first section, Erechayim, has Tof Reish Tzadik Zayin Simonim, which means 697 sections. That's a lot. That's how the Shulchan Aruch is divided. There's a simon, and within each simon, there's seifim, there's chapters, there's paragraphs. So it has 697 sections, Shulchan Aruch. It's built on the structure of a previous composition known as Tur. The Tur, the four, it's actually Parshas Tetzava, we have the breastplate of the Kayin Gadol that has Arba Turin. It has four lines of stones in the breastplate of the Kayin Gadol, the Cheshem Mishpat, Arba Turin. So, Rabbeinu Yaakov, the author of the Tur, he was a son of Rabbeinu Usher of the Rosh, lived in the 1300s. He wrote this great composition called Bal HaTurim, commentary on Chomish, but he also wrote the four Turim, the four lines of the four dimensions of Halacha, Tur, Erechaim, Yerdev, and Ezechah, and based on his structure, the Shulchan Aruch by Rabbi Yosef Karo in the 1500s followed that same structure. So in the first section, Erechaim, again, we have Tafresh, Tzadik, Zayin, Simonim. And the end of it, it goes through all of the Yom Taivim, right? You'll have the laws of Yom Kippur, you'll have the laws of Sukkah, you'll have the laws of Lulav, you'll have the laws of Hanukkah. We're now coming closer to the end. And then the end is the laws of Megillah, which are basically all the laws of Purim, Hilchis Megillah. And when you come to the last simon, right, the laws of Megillah begin from Tafresh, Pei Vav, all the way till Tafresh Tzadik Vav. That's 11 Simonim, 686 through 696. Then you come to the last one, Tafresh Tzadik Zayin. This is the last simon in Shechonar Charechayim. It deals with what? The laws of Purim Katan, the laws of Yudalit and Tesvav of Adarishin. The 14th and 15th days of Adarishin. That's the end of the entire Shechonarach. The time of them bepashtuses. What's the reason? It makes sense. By Lloyd Seder Hashanah, we interver Shachanarach Erechams and Ezgestalt, and we alaches from Zmane Emede Hashanah. So, he is a Chamit Rishchaydish, and the Nachnissen, Hilchas Pesacholi, come in the dinim from Purim Lebesayf. Because the Torah and the Shachanarach were established, they were written according to the, according to chronology, according to the order of the year. So, it starts off with Rishchaydish because that's the beginning of a month, any month. It continues with the laws of Nisan, which is the first month, the laws of Pesach. And so it goes down the order of the month, and Purim is the last month, other. So the end of Erechayim, as it goes through all the holidays in the order of the 12 months, beginning with Nisan, it comes to Purim at the end. I'll ask a question. The laws of the first other should precede the laws of the second other because in a leap year, first other comes before the second other. So if you're following the chronology of the month, of the months, why is the last simon about the first other? It should be the other way around. The answer is, the Rebbe says, apparently, because these laws are not relevant every year. They're only relevant on a leap year. The laws of the regular Purim are relevant every single year. Every single year, you're going to have a Purim, no exception. So that's why the Shulchan Aruch first 
puts in and transcribes the laws of Megillah, the laws of Purim. And then the last simon, Tafresh Sadiq Zion, 697, he also adds those laws that will be relevant some years, even though those years they will be relevant before Purim, because those are the laws that are connected to the first other, the 14th and 15th day of the first other. We can add even more. This is uh, more lambdas. As the prate dinim from Yedalad v'tesvav adarish v'din tainis v'hespid b'hem. The title of the last simon in Shulchan Aruch is that you don't say tachna, you don't say any confessions on the 14th of the first order or on the 15th of the first order. And we're going to discuss the laws of fasting and eulogizing on those days. And the Shulchan Aruch basically discusses how on the 14th and 15th days of the first order, we do not say tachna. You do not fall on your face by the confession. We don't say that kapitel tehillim yamcha Hashem beyom tzara kapitel chaf of tehillim, which we usually say. You don't make a eulogy then, and you're not allowed to fast on that day, on those days. Why? Because it has a festive quality to it. But he says other things we don't stop from doing on that day. But these are the things we stop doing. And then he brings a second opinion that on these days you are allowed to make a eulogy and you are allowed to fast. So the Shulchan Aruch itself brings. Brings an argument, but as the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isserlish, the commentator on the Shulchan Aruch says, that our minig is like the first view in Shulchan Aruch, not to do eulogies and not to engage in a fast, in fasting on the 14th and 15th of Adar. So all of these halachas and an amasuvah from the mitzvahs with Dinim Shiva Purim. They are all a result of the halachas of Purim, of the regular Purim. The says that the Dinim Vichyuvim from Yadalad Vad Tesvavadidish, ain't no from Alpnei. Another reason why he put Purim cotton after Purim Gadol is because all the halachas of the of the 14th and 15th of the first order are really a consequence of the halachas of Purim. In other words, the obligations of 14 and 15 of the first order are not obligations that are connected to these days of the month independently. That the 14th and 15th day of the first order have some unique quality independently. It's a result of Purim in the second order, because in the second month of order. You have the great Purim and the great celebration of Purim. And that Purim has mitzvahs. So as a result of that, even the first order is also recreated. The first order also, even though it's not the second order, and it's not the main Purim, but since it's order, so as a result of the second order, the first order also has a festive quality to it. And therefore there's also Purim cotton. The great Purim creates a miniature Purim, a smaller Purim, a more humble Purim. So that's why in Halacha, in Shulchan Aruch, what comes first? The laws of the second order. And then after that, the laws of the first order, even though chronologically first order comes before the second order, because in theme, thematically, they are born, they are a result, they are a consequence of the second order. So that's the two explanations why this comes at the end. One is because it's not every year, and one is because in theme, thematically speaking, it's a result of the second order. In the footnotes, which I'm not going to get into at the moment, maybe we'll do it at the end, we'll see, he gets into a long lumdish uh, Talmudic discussion about this, how you define 
the prohibition to fast and, and, and say tachnon and eulogize in the first other is it a result of the second other? Is it independent? So this is, I'm just saying, it's a discussion in the, in the footnotes. And he finishes, okay, next page. Right? So this is a result of the laws of Purim, which in a leap year come out in the second other. Aber, this is all true. However, everything in Torah is very precise. It's meticulous. It's like a grand cosmic puzzle where everything has its place and it fits in perfectly. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, you can learn this from the world. We know that everything in the world is by divine providence. And everything in the world is purposeful. And even small details are not just isolated, random things that happen incidentally without any meaning. As we're always taught, and this became a fundamental teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, that even a leaf that falls off the tree and the leaf rolls for a specific span of time and ends up in a specific location, that's also by divine providence. It's also orchestrated by meaning, by a purposeful objective. And the Baal Shem Tev even taught that the way the, the leaf rolls, it's not just that it ends up here, even the way it happens. In other words, the processes are also by divine providence. And the Baal Shem Tev also explained that it's not just by divine providence. In other words, there is some meaning. That this meaning is indispensable to the cosmic meaning. It's not just it has some, you know, little meaning, <laughs> not very important. It's actually part of the entire grand plan. So this is true even about the world. Now, when you look at the world, it often seems chaotic. You look at your own life, it seems chaotic. But really, there is a larger puzzle. There's a larger jigsaw puzzle that's made up of many, many, many small pieces. And every piece has its own unique space, its own unique location, its own unique contribution. If this is true about everything in the world, the Rebbe says, certainly it's true about Torah, which is the blueprint of the world. Is move on. Astolos was the dinim from Purim Shtein, Besiyam Allahis from Chelekir Echayim. This teaches us, from this we can infer, that the fact that the laws of Purim come at the end of the entire Shulchan Aruch Erechayim. And in those laws of Purim themselves, the ultimate end is with the laws of Purim Katan, the miniature Purim, the humble Purim, the first other, the 14th and 15th day of the first other, it's not just, it happened to work out that way. They fell into that place. Why? Because since the Shulchan Aruch follows the calendar and it follows the chronology of the months. So you start with Nisan and you end with other. So ultimately, that's how it came out. So Purim came out at the end. And in other itself, you first go with the Tadr, meaning you first go with that which is permanent every year. And then you go with that which is once in a while. 
So as a result, it fell out that way, that Purim is at the end of Erechayim, and within that itself, Purim Kotlin is at the end of the end of Erechayim. But based on the above, we understand it didn't just fall out that way. There is also an intention in it. There is also an objective in it. There is also a deeper component in it. I remember I once saw somewhere an interesting thing. It just... uh, it just adds a little flavor to what the Lubavitcher Rebbe is saying here. I don't remember the original source for this. But it says in Svarim that the simon, the number of the section in Shulchan Aruch that deals with particular laws is not random. So for example, the laws of Rosh Hashanah, the laws of Shoifer, the laws of Shoifer begin in simon Tovkov Peivov. That's 586. The laws of Rosh Hashanah begin a few simonim earlier. In Tov Kuf Pe Aleph, 581. That's where the laws of Rosh Hashanah. But the laws of Shoifan Rosh Hashanah, blowing the ram's horn, that's Tov Kuf Pe Vav, 586. Now you guessed it. What's the numerology of 586? Shoifer, Right? Shoifer is, Tovkov Peivov is 586. And Shoifer, you have Shin and Reish is 500. Shin is 300, Reish is 200. And Peivov, Shoifer, is 86. So is that just random? But the laws of Shoifer, which constitute the numerology of 586, Shoifer starts in section 586. You could say it's random, but it's not. There's a meticulousness that you will say, well, it had to end up there because... He followed the system, and it happened to be that this was that number. <laughs> but the Rebbe says it's not like that. It's bediuk. It's meticulous. It's precise. So similarly, we're saying here as well, the fact that these halachas come at the end of Erechayim means that there is some thematic connection because... The conclusion of everything, the Gemara says in Brachas, Talmud Brachas, page 12, Dafyad Beis, Hakal when it comes to blessings, we always look at the end. You know, <laughs> touchdown. The ninth, the Makabapatish, the final conclusion, the culmination of it, when you seal it. Hakal everything follows the conclusion, the seal. So these halachas are at the end of Erechayim. It's meticulous because somehow the whole Erechayim ends off in these halachas because they express something fundamental in the Eirechayim, in the path of life of a Jew. And the question is, what would that be? That's the introduction to the Sikha, that's what he raises. Base. One way, ostensibly, of explaining this is, let's really look at the last words of Shulchan Aruch and what are the last words? As I told you, the last Simon Tafir Tzadik Zion deals with the fact that we don't say Tachman, and we don't fall on our faces during the confession, and we don't say Yam Chashem B'Yem Tzara on the 14th and 15th day of the first month of Adar. There's also the opinion that we don't do any eulogies and we don't do any fasting. Then there is the Ramah. Just a little intro for those who don't know. The Shulchan Aruch was authored by Rabbi Yosef Karo, but he had a contemporary who lived a little, uh, who lived much longer, the Beis Yosef, the Rabbi Yosef Kar was known as the Beis Yosef, he lived ripe old age. The rabbi of Krakow at the time, 
He was in Poland. His name was Rabbeinu Moshe Iserlish. He's buried in Krakow. There's, if you go to Krakow in Poland, there's a shul called the Ramaz Shul. The shul where Moshe Iserlish, the rabbi of Krakow, davened. There's even the place that they say this is the place. And it's, it's, it's still considered, it's, it's, they, it's treated with much reverence. And he's buried right behind the shul. There's a cemetery there. You have the tombstone of the Ramah, Rabbeinu Moshe Iserlish. Rabbi Yosef Cairo, the author of Shechan was a Sephardic sage. He came from Spain, where he followed the tradition of Spanish Jewry. Ramar, Rabbi Moshe Isilish, was the Ashkenazic rabbi in Krakow, from the greatest Ashkenazic leaders and rabbis of his time. He died very young. He was 42 when he died. He passed away like Baimer. So Rabbi Yosef Cairo died Yud Gimel in the 13th of Nisan. Ramar passed away like Baimer, but much very young man. What he accomplished in those years are incredible. So many works and his leadership. He's one of the great rabbinic figures of his time, Rabbeinu Moshe Israelish. So he wrote a commentary. He wrote footnotes to the Shulchan Aruch where he often inserts the Ashkenazic traditions and the Ashkenazic customs or other footnotes. So he, there's the Shulchan Aruch and then there's the Ramah who wrote commentaries, Hagos. It's like Shulchan Aruch means a papir table and the Ramah they used to call the Mapa. The tablecloth on the papir table. Shulchan Aruch is a papir table, but you need a tablecloth. You don't just put the food on the table. He put out the tablecloth. So he finishes as follows. The Rebbe now quotes the last words of the Ramah, which really finishes the whole Shulchan Aruch Erechad. Yesh Oymrim says the Ramah. Some say, Shechayev laharbais b'mishta v'simcha b'yudalot shabba'adarishin. There is an opinion that you're obligated to increase in feasting and enjoy on the 14th day of the first month, which we call Purim Katan, the Ein Noyhagin Ken. But it's not the custom. Do you know people that have a meal, a special meal, and they do special joyous things on Yedalad Adarishin? So the Ramah says, Ein Noyhagin. It's not the minute. There is such a view that you're obligated to have a Mishta, just like on Purim. There's an obligation to have a Mishta, an obligation to sit down for a meal, a festive meal on Purim. It's one of the mitzvahs of Purim. So some say, this is the opinion actually of the Tur, in the name of the Rif, Rabbi Yitzchak Alphas, that you have to, you should have a feast and celebrate the 14th of the first other. But he says, it's not the minik, it's not the custom. Nonetheless, you should increase a little bit in your meal, in your feasting, in order to fulfill the obligation of those who are more stringent and say that it's obligatory to have a meal on Purim Katan. So the Ramah says, even though it's not the custom to have a special meal and increase in Simcha, but you know what? Add something to your meal. Do something special. Do something extra in order to fulfill that view that is more stringent and says you have to. And then he finishes his last words, quoting a verse from Mishle. Proverbs 15, 15. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15. Mishle, perik tesvav, pasik tesvav. V'toiv lev, mishtetomet. A good heart is always feasting. And with this, Shulchan Aruch Erechayim concludes. It's fascinating because this is going to become the theme of the Sikha. That the whole Shulchan Aruch Erechayim concludes with this verse. Toiv lev, mishtetomet. A good heart is always in a state of feasting. The commentators there explain the verse. There's different explanations, but Shleim HaMelech, King Solomon writes in Proverbs, Kol yimei ani All the days of a pauper are bad, 
But somebody with a good heart is always parting, is always feasting. And they explain it as a metaphor for different types of people. There are people who have an attitude of poverty. It's not talking about a person who has money or a person who doesn't have money, although money can help. But it's a person who has an attitude of poverty. Everything is bad and I'm poor and I'm a shlamazel and life is cursed. So all the days of that person are going to be experienced as negative. But somebody who has a good attitude, somebody who has a good disposition, somebody who really works on themselves. So some people it comes more natural, some people need more avoid, they need more work. They're always in a state of mishta. Mishta means a party, a feast, a celebrative, festive occasion and a festive meal. Why? Because I guess they always, what do we say, they see the full cup or they, or somebody told me in shul, he says, not that there's a half, you could look at the cup half empty or half full. He says, sometimes you have to take the half empty cup and pour it into a different type of cup and then it's full. <laughs> and I told them a different type of cup. So the point is, that's how the Ramah finishes That even though the minig is not to have a feast on Purim cotton, you should still add a little bit in your meal. And, because, and, and this is how he finishes, because generally a good heart, a positive heart, is mishtatamit. You always look for an opportunity to celebrate. Says the Rebbe Shtet in Svarim, on this, there's a fascinating comment in Svarim. As the chasime from Rebbe Moshe Israelish is me'ena psiche from Erechaya. There are mohe ptomit shivisi Hashem lenegdi samit, this is beautiful. Let's go to the beginning of Shulchan Aruch HaRechaim. Till now we discussed section 697, which is the end. Toiv Leiv Mishtetamit. What about the beginning? Is Simon Aleph. How does it start? So let's, we're going now all the way to the beginning. It starts off with the laws of waking up in the morning. Din hashkamas habayker. And the way it begins is, the Shulchan Aruch says, a person should uh, display the power and the vigor of a lion to wake up in the morning to serve his creator. And you should wake up the dawn rather than the dawn waking up you. In other words, wake up early in the morning. And then the Ramah begins a long footnote. And he begins it with the Pasuk from Tehillim, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. I have placed Hashem before me continuously. That's a Pasuk in Tehillim. And the Ramah explains that this is a great principle in Torah. And all of the good people walk before God because when you're sitting and moving around and engaging in your affairs, privately, it's very different when you're sitting and you're engaging in your affairs in the presence of the creator of the world. So when the Ramah says, when a person realizes Hashem's presence here, every single moment, there's a sense of awe and a sense of healthy uh, healthy uh, respect and reverence, and you will not be embarrassed from people who mock you and laugh of you when you're serving God, one of the greatest problems is, of course, social conformity, looking for validation, looking for approval. But when you realize in whose presence you are, what matters is what is good, what is right. And he continues, even when you're in the privacy of your own life, you know, even when I'm laying in bed, who's here with me. And when I wake up, therefore, I wake up with alacrity to serve Hashem. 
This is the opening of Shulchan Aruch in the words of the Ramah. What's the first thing the Ramah says? Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samet. Put Hashem in front of me, I put Hashem in front of me always. So there's a fascinating insight in Svarim. The Berche Yosef, Shari Tshuvan, he brings in footnote 11. And that is that the whole Shulchan Aruch Erechayim is sandwiched between two Tamids. The entire Erechayim is sandwiched between Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid and Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid. He begins with Tamid and he ends with Tamid. He begins with Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid, I place Hashem in front of me. Tamid, always, consistently. And he ends, Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid, a good heart is always feasting, is always celebrating. We know that in the Beis HaMikdash, they offered every day two tamids, two offerings, a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the afternoon, in the evening. The lamb in the morning opened up the service in the Beis HaMikdash. All the offerings were brought subsequent after the first lamb, and the lamb in the evening concluded all of the offerings. There was no offering brought after the second tamid. These were the Tamids, the two staples, consistent daily staples that were brought in the Mishkan and the Besamintosh every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, Shabbos, Yom Tefim, Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Purim Katan, Purim Gadol. Every day you had these two consistent offerings, even if there were not other offerings. Not every day did people bring offerings, not every day were there special offerings, but this Sunday through Shabbos, two Tmidim. This like defined the opening and the ending. So these Svarim say, this was the Ramah's intention. The Ramah began and concluded the Rechayim with these two Tamids. He starts off, Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. He ends with, V'toi V'leiv Mishta Tamid. And they parallel, they reflect the two Tmidim, the two daily Tmidim. Shnayim Layoim Oyla Samid. You brought every day a carbon Tamid and it's called Tamid. Tamid means it's always, it's perpetual, it's consistent. It never, you never stop. So Erechayim, which is the daily life of the Jew, also has two tmidim. The first one is, Hashem is always before me. Hashem is always in my, with me. God is always holding my hand. That's the first tamid. That's the first consistent foundation that opens up Shulchan Aruch Erechayim. And what's the second tamid? Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid. Learn how to celebrate. Learn how to feast. A good heart always celebrates. That's the last tamid. That's the ending. What does this mean? Einer from the Biyurimazah. One of the explanations. The Chelekar Rechayim Bashtait for the mitzvahs v'dinim was the Adam of Mekayim Zayn Tog Teglech Ubemeshech Kol Hayyim. Meis Kume Mishinasi Babayker Adzman Shechivase Balayla and for the dinim of mitzvahs v'meshech Yimei Hashanah Kula Al Seder Hashanah. The Dazek mitzvahs v'dinim Zayn Bechlal Farbunden Mitzmanim Misuyamim Bemeshech Hayyim Valayla Adav Meshech Hashanah Was Mizmuchoyv to Mekayim Zayn and Azman Misuyim Bishanah Un Zayn Nitzayich Tzanand Azman Bemeshech Hashanah I'll explain in a moment. Aber da haschala von Erechai, Nishleimah Erechshala Adam, Vesiyumai, Zayn in the Tshnei Tmidim Vazayn Zayrechiyah Vestendik, Bechol Zman Diyamei Chayav Shala Adam, Bemeshech Kol Hashanah Kula, Bemeshech Kol Hayam Kula, Midayim Biyamai. Meaning, generally, Shulchan Aruch Erechayim consists of mitzvahs and laws that a Jew does on a daily basis throughout the day. From when I wake up in the morning, that's the opening of Arachayim until I go to sleep at night. That's what Arachayim does. I wake up in the morning, how I wake up, what I do when I wake up in the morning, from washing my hands to expressing gratitude to saying the blessings to davening, etc. Until I go to sleep, till the end of the day. That's Arachayim. It encapsulates the to-do list of the Jewish soul. But also, it includes the laws that are relevant 
throughout the days of the year, according to the order of the year. So Rechaim is both. It, first of all, it captures the daily schedule of a Jew every day, but then also the daily schedule of the Jew based on different times of the year. My schedule on Pesach is not my schedule on Shabbos. My schedule on Sukkot is not my schedule on a regular Monday. Now, all of these mitzvahs and laws are usually connected with certain times of the day and the night. I'm not waking up every moment of the day. I'm not going to sleep every moment of the day, let's hope. I'm not eating matzah every day. I'm eating matzah on Pesach. So these laws of Shulchan Aruch capsulate the full day and the full year. But different laws are connected to different times of the day. The laws of Kriyashma relate to the morning. The laws of Davening, of Davening Mincha relate to the afternoon. Etc., etc. The laws of blowing shaifa relate to Rosh Hashanah. So they always relate to a certain time of the day or a certain time of the year when I'm obligated to fulfill this mitzvah. Another time of the year doesn't have this mitzvah. That's all once you get into the Shulchan Aruch. But the beginning of Arachai and the end, this is Tamid. This is something that's always. Most halachas of Arachai, even if they're daily or weekly or monthly or annually, but they're once a month, once a year, once a day, an hour in the day. But the beginning of Arachayim, the beginning of Arachayim, and it's the beginning of, not just, he says, of Arachayim, it's the beginning also of, of, of the person, not just of the book. The book is a reflection of the person. The beginning of my path of life, and the end, this is Shnei Tmidim. Tmidim means things that are always relevant. Every moment of the day, every moment of the night. Just like in the Beis HaMikdash. The first Tamid came in the beginning of the day, and that's what started over the Avoid. And the end was Tamid Shalbenar Bayim Shalav Hashlem Kolakarbonus. And that's what completed the Avoid. Here, too, there are two concepts, two realities, two experiences that they are always relevant at every moment of a person's life throughout the entire year. And throughout the entire day, every single day. And that's why And that's why they're organized in the way that the first Tamid comes as the beginning, the second one comes at the end. They like sandwich, they all of Urachaim is sandwiched in between them because those two principles are consistent and persistent. Not just on Rosh Hashanah, not just on Yom Kippur, not just in the morning when I wake up, in the morning when I wake up, but in the afternoon and in the evening and late afternoon and late morning when I'm tired, when I'm not tired. What are these two tmidim? So here are the two consistent permanent features. The opening of Shulchan Aruch is Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. God is before me constantly. This represents the point of Yiras Hashem. Awe of Hashem, fear of Hashem. As the Ramah explains, that when a person realizes that Hashem, who is omnipresent, is standing near me and is present in my life and cares about me and sees what I do, the person will experience an awe, a humility, 
and a person will experience a healthy bush, a healthy, a healthy sense of shame, meaning this is appropriate, this is inappropriate, even if nobody sees me. Hashem sees me. Hashem hears me. Sometimes in the privacy of my life, I don't want to say a white lie. Or not a white lie, a black lie. But if I know that Hashem is here, and Hashem is with me, and Hashem is present, it changes everything. The Gemara tells a story in Brachas, Rabbi Yechid ibn Zakkai was ill, and his students asked him to bless them before he passes away, and he said that the fear of God should be for you like the fear of a person. And they were very insulted. He's equating Hashem with a person, and he said, you know what? If people are watching you, you behave a certain way, just give God the same power like people have. When I was a child, this was, I think, Tavshin Membez, 1982. I think it was the first day of Elul. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe would often conduct rallies, kinusim, with Yiddish Kindelach, with children, a few times a year, and sometimes very often, sometimes once a month or every few months. And it was a very powerful experience because the shul would empty out from adults because there was not enough place for everybody. Only the children were there from the different schools that came, sometimes from camps, depends what season of the year, but from a lot of, quite a few yeshivas. So it was the whole shul was packed with children. You can have 500 children or 1,000 children or even a few thousand children. And the Rebbe would have in Mincha with the, with, the, with the children. And then after Mincha, uh, he would speak to the children. Usually short talks, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 5 minutes, 15 minutes. And uh, somebody would translate, Rabbi J.J. Hecht would translate into English, for those who didn't understand Yiddish, and then he would give another talk and a third talk, and then he would give dimes to all the children, one to keep for themselves, and one to give for tzedakah. He usually would give two dimes. So it was always a very, uh, a very moving and powerful experience. And the Rebbe would speak to children in a language that's relevant to children. So it was really very, uh, you could you'd learn a tremendous amount from it. So he would speak to children in a very, very, uh, you saw how he took them very seriously. And he spoke to children in a very serious way. Like you saw, we always, you know, we talk about the fact that, you know, children have a whole inner world going on. They're not just external machines that respond to pressure. And you saw the Rebbe spoke to children not like he spoke to adults, because they're not adults, but he spoke to them with the same seriousness and a certain maturity with which he speak to adults. You know, he, took, he took their world very seriously, and he would explain things and, and get passionate. It was incredible talks that he gave to children over the years. So growing up, I was by many of them, maybe all of them or most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. So there was once, I think it was Rishchidosh Elul Tovshin Membez, I have to look it up. It was 1982 in the summer. The Rebbe spoke about a child who comes down in the morning or comes out of his bedroom and there's a Danish, He's, he used to wear Danish, on the table. And the child is afraid that if he doesn't get it first, his brother or his sister are going to eat the Danish. So when his father asks him if he washed Negelwasser already, after he woke up, the Rebbe says, he says to himself, let me lie, I'll, I'll tell him that I washed Nagelwasser, and then I'll take the Danish, and then I'll wash Nagelwasser afterwards. So the Rebbe spoke about this. 
and he expressed himself in Yiddish. He says, when you recall that Hashem is present, he, so the child, child thinks to himself, Vikens to Zogin, Aligin, Dem Eberstin, and Panamarain. How can you lie in God's face? How could you look at God and just say a lie straight to his face? How could you? When he thundered out, he screamed out those words with so much passion. How do you lie into God's face? How dare you? You know, how dare you? Do you lack complete sensitivity? You think Hashem doesn't know? So this is what the Ramah brings out is the opening of Shulchan Aruch. Hashem So the Rebbe says, this is not relevant to one hour in the day. It's not relevant to when I wake up or when I go to sleep or in the afternoon. This is every single day, all day, and every single day of the year, all year. That's the beginning. That's why it's Tumit. It's always. The end is joy, celebration. Toiv leiv mishta, Tumit. When should a Jew be joyous? Tumit. Again, this is not something that's related only to a specific time. That's why the Shulchan Aruch HaRechaim is sandwiched between these two Tomits, these two Tmidim. Because these two elements are foundations that ought to be consistent. In every Avoid, in every aspect of a Jew's life, one needs to experience the sense of year, the sense of awe, the sense of reverence, hachna, subservience, humility, removing the arrogance, the haughtiness, the stupidity, the, the expansiveness that comes from lightheadedness and mockery. There's a sense of year, of, of edelkeit. There's an edelkeit. You're in the presence of Hashem. There's hachna. There's a certain hachna means a humility, a subservience. But together with that, there's the second foundation: simcha, joy, celebration. As the pasuk says in Tehillim, we say it every morning: "Ivduas Hashem beyira, ivduas Hashem besimcha." Serve Hashem with awe and serve Hashem with joy. The first is in the second chapter of Tehillim, and the second is in the hundredth chapter of Tehillim. It's interesting. One is the opening of Tehillim, and one is already closer to the end of Tehillim, just like in Shulchan Aruch, right? One is the beginning, Shivisi Hashem, and one is the end, Tehillim Mishnah This is Tehillim capital Beis, Ivduas Hashem Beyira, and Tehillim capital Kuf, Ivduas Hashem Besimcha, which we say every morning in Mizmer Lusayda, in the beginning of Pesukah de Zimri, Ivduas Hashem Besimcha. So he says, serve God with awe, serve God with joy. Which one? The answer is both. These are the two tmidim. There's Yira and there's Simcha. One is the beginning, one is the end. One is the opening of Shulchan Aruch, one is the end. And in that sense, in that sense, as he says in, six, in 16, there are six mitzvahs that a Jew is always obligated to do. For example, the mitzvah of Amuna, the mitzvah of loving God. But that's all true. Those are consistent mitzvahs. But here, these mitzvahs are essential to every avoid. Anything you're doing ought to be defined by these two things, by by Yira and by Simcha. If there's Hashem by Yira, if there's Hashem by Simcha. Did Rabbi Jacobson um, just notice that it was the first Tehillim and the hundredth Tehillim? Or did you hear that from, did you see that or read that somewhere? No, I, it just came to me as I was giving the shir. Wow, awesome. <laughs> it just came to me, yeah. I didn't see it. But I was looking in the footnote, and I footnote number 17, and he says, Tehillim Beis, Tehillim Kuf. 
So I realized, oh, one is Mamish, the beginning of Tehillim, and one is not the end, but closer to the end, because Tehillim has 150 chapters, so chapter 100 is closer to the end. Just a parenthetical, uh, parenthetical footnote of mine. So based on this, Al-Pizah Yash Levayavadassim Funarechayim is Metilchis Megillah Purim. So this can give us perspective, at least. The first level, later we're going to see this developed in deeper ways, that the end of Shulchan Aruch is with the laws of Purim. And we asked before, why? It's not just random, it's meticulous. So based on what we learned, that the Ramah's last words are Toiv Lev Tamid, and we explained that these are the two Tmidim with which the Shulchan Aruch opens and ends, as explained in this previous Siv Beis, now we can come back and see at least one explanation why Shulchan Aruch not randomly, but meticulously and precisely, ends with the laws of Megillah, the laws of Purim. Says, Yadua, it's known, Asvayedin, Suga, the Kav, Meyuchad, and Avaydes Hashem, Isfran, Ayyoyim, Zman, Kavua, Bashana, Velchiz, Bimeyuchad, Mesugal, Omasim, Fadem, Oifen, Havayda. Vos von dem Zman, Nemtmen, dem Koyach, Beinyan, Zeva, Ashpa, Oif, Avaydes, Zub, Meshech, Kol, Hashana, Kula. It's known, a fascinating idea that says in Svarim, every element of Avaydes Hashem, you know, serving God includes all of a person's life. And there's many different paths and many different experiences and many, many different journeys. Avodah Hashem, serving God doesn't have one color and doesn't have one appearance and doesn't have one demeanor and doesn't have one mood and doesn't have one state. It comes in endless manifestations that comprise a person's journey in life. So for every single kaf, for every single line, for every single category in serving God, there is a day or a time in the year that is uniquely focused on that particular type of Avedus Hashem. And that time becomes a source of inspiration, a reservoir from where you can get the energy for this element of serving God throughout the whole year. In other words, Avedus Hashem, is comprised of a rainbow of many, many different colors and experiences. And there's different times that are focused on this particular component. And these become reference points. They become paradigms. They become archetypes. And they become reservoirs, wellsprings, from which you take energy for this particular element of Avodah Sashem throughout the whole year. So Pesach is a time when there's a unique concentration on the element of redemptiveness. Geula. Shavuos, Torah. Rosh Hashanah, the coronation of God, as my God, as my King. Yom Kippur, renewal, transformation, tshuva, introspectiveness, and metamorphosis. And as we'll see, there's Tubishvat, and there's Hanukkah, and there's Purim. Every, every holiday, and every Parsha, for example, it has a unique focus. This is the energy that is encapsulated in this day or in this time. And this becomes a source of inspiration for this particular Avodah. And that's why every holiday and every season in Jewish life is essential because each one gives you something else. Each one gives you a different opportunity in life. Each one allows you to polish and cultivate this particular uh, dimension in your life. It's like when you have to fine-tune a violin or you have to fine-tune a piano. Every note... Every key represents a different note. 
if I fine-tune one key and not the other key, I'm missing something from the ballad. So every single Shabbos, every single parish, every single holiday, every single day captures a specific key which represents a certain musical note that is essential for life. And you want to make sure that every key is played with full intensity, with full alacrity, with full presence. The same is true with the component of joy, which is a major essential element of life. The power for Toiv Lev Mishtatamid to be able to have that attitude, that good heart that's always celebrating. In other words, that my service of Hashem throughout the whole year should be filled with joy. Where do I get it from? What's the time of the year when joy is? The main focus, and it's concentrated in that time, it's Purim. Because Purim is the holiday that was chosen as the time when we increase in feasting and joy in the greatest measure, even more than all of the other holidays, like it says in Turin or Shulchan Aruch, in Simon Tafresh Sadek Hay, section 695, that there's a mitzvah to increase in the meal of Purim, and as we know, the person is obligated to even become tipsy and inebriated on Purim, until I don't know the difference between curses Haman and blessed is Mardachai, as the Gemara says in Megillah, and it's, it's brought in Shulchan Aruch. So Purim has an element of Simcha even more than all the holidays, which also have the mitzvah of Simcha. So Purim has that power to bequeath its joy throughout the year, so that all the year, all the year, it could be toiv leiv mishtatamid, I can have that attitude of celebration and feasting. Now, there's an obvious question. It says, Zman Simcha Seinu is the mocker of Simcha Al-Kalashana Kula. Uki Yadua, as the Nyanim Klolum Bavaydas Hashem, Netmanim Kayach of Zephanim Chaydash Aklali Chaydash Tishrei. Rish Hashanah, this man from Tamlichoni Aleichem is the mocker of Velchem Hashem, Yer Shemayim, if in Gansen Yar, Yem Kippur, if in Yina Chuva, Sukkis, Minetz Simcha Seinu, Zman Simcha Seinu. You can ask a very obvious question. It says in Svar in many places that Sukkot is called Zman Simcha Seinu, the time of our joy. That is the source of Simcha for the whole year. Because we know that the general themes of serving God trace back their source from the general month of the year, which is the month of Tishrei. Tishrei is called the head of the year. The word Tishrei, if you recombine the letters, it's Reishis. Tishrei is Reish, Shin Yutza, which means Reishis. Rosh Hashanah is called the head of the year. It's like the head. It contains the entire nervous system, governing the entire organism, the entire body. So spiritually too, the month of Tishrei is the general month in the Jewish calendar from which we get the energy to serve God throughout the year in all of the various categories. Rosh Hashanah, when we coronate Hashem, that's the source for Yerushalayim, for all of heaven. Yom Kippur, as we said before, it's the source of tshuva. Sukkot, Shemini Yatzar gives us the energy that Torah and Mitzvah throughout the whole year should be performed with Simcha. And this is intimated fascinatingly in the Rambam. In Rambam, 
in Hilchis Lulav, in the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, as he says in 26, Rambam, the end of Hilchis Lulav, the Rambam talks about the joy of Simchas Beis HaSheyeva, that on Sukkot there was a special excessive joy in the Beis HaMikdash on Sukkot. And as a continuation of that, the Rambam says, the joy that a person celebrates when he or she does a mitzvah, and when he or she serves God, is an avoidig doyla. It's a tremendous cornerstone in Yiddishkeit. And the Rambam says that people, the Rambam says that people who are too self-conscious to be joyous, they're very reserved, they're very uptight. The Rambam says, this is a path of sin and foolishness because there's no glory and there's no dignity like celebrating excessively in the presence of Hashem. And he brings the famous story of David HaMelech, that when the Oren was coming back to the Jewish people, David David was swaying and jumping and dancing with all of his vigor and power. And his wife, the daughter of Shaul Micha, chastised him. She said, you're emerging as a, as a maidservant, so lightheaded, you're humiliating yourself. And David responds and he says, I would do it even more. So this is what the Rambam says, how a person has to celebrate life and the service of Hashem in life. So the Rambam says this as a continuation to the celebration of Sukkot. Why? Because now we understand the Rambam is intimating something, that the source of Simcha a whole year in every mitzvah comes from Sukkot. And yet we said earlier, it comes from Purim. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says there's two elements. V'yesh loymar, let's explain. V'aldos is dafka b'zman shebe samigdash shoye kayam, v'en alin yonam zayin gavin kitikunam u'bishlim musam, d'farem in demo d'inkat makabo zayin chiyus in avoydas Hashem emeshech halashana kula v'en niyam emtayvim shebechaydash tishrei, v'aldos is given maspik. Al derech zeh b'ing denum in the minyan asimcha b'avoydas Hashem, hot min the minyan asimcha b'avoydas Hashem denum of the simchi yisayin shoye b'miktish b'chag asukas. Mashenkin bezman hagolos in the tzayit von helam vehester is the ashpas hasimche von chagasukas net maspik to poils and in the ravoda von agansiar. While the inyanim vezeshtein in chaydish tishrei zen and zeal derech moshe with the chiyus von alei varem gefinsich noch in roish was darten is the chayes hecher for tzayanton zichem chayes and devarem shebeguf. Al derech zei nimshel as in tishrei shtein the inyanim avodas Hashem and afil hecher edarga. So haben a shaykh zu der Avedis Pratis, wie sie stehen, begillen Avedis an der Menschen Chashana Kula, muss der Ibre sein, anenterer, nisinus koyach vashpah von ayem vedage, welches nit in dem Chedesh HaKlali, welches maspeh in dem Mehashana. O bien yaneinu, der toiv leiv mishte tamid, der simchit midis bemeshech in Mehashana, nemt men von Yeshleimar, nemt men von Yeshleimar, gam de Chag HaSukas, beim Zohus der Simchesh in Mehapurim, Wow. So fundamental idea. There is the time of the Beis Hamikdash and there is the time of Golos. And we have to understand the time of the Beis Hamikdash is not just there was a holy home in Yerushalayim, a spiritual epicenter of the Jewish people. It's hard for us to understand. But when the Beis HaMikdash existed, there was a certain consciousness that was available in the world. Even though life was not perfect, you could read the Tanakh about the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. And you could read various history sources about the time of the second Beis HaMikdash. There were some very serious challenges, although there were moments and periods that were extremely elevated and sublime. 
But it's hard for us to understand that even the difficult moments in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, and some of them were very difficult, there was a certain consciousness that was available in the world. And that's why it's explained in Svarim in the time of the first Beis HaMikdash there was so much idolatry. Why was there so much idolatry? Because people, the need for God was immediate. It was, it was intimate. But to have a relationship with the authentic God, you had to work on yourself. So they found all of these types of substitutes, which were the pagan gods. But those pagan gods gave people some form of spiritual fulfillment. And they had all of these orgies and all of these experiences of ecstasy around these pagan gods. But there was a need to find meaning, to find a divine purpose. Either it could be false or it could be authentic. Because to receive from Kedusha, you have to refine yourself. They weren't ready for that. But that's why idolatry in the first place, Amikdash, was such a powerful force, which is hard for us to understand. What is idolatry? Idolatry is attributing too much significance to matter. A statue suddenly becomes a deity. A stone becomes a deity. A force of nature becomes a deity. It's going overboard and seeing in the matter of spirituality, but to a degree where this spirituality is so deep that this statue is now a god, which is, of course, idolatry. Later in history, the challenge would be the opposite. It's having the difficulty to perceive spirituality anywhere, to even see beyond the matter. But in the first place, Samikdash, the challenge was that matter became God, and there was no boundary. But generally speaking, the idea is that when the Samikdash stood, there was a certain energy in the world. And the Rebbe says you could receive your chayas, your life in Avodah Hashem from the whole year, from the holidays in Tishri, and that was enough. Including Simcha from Sukkot. In Galus, in exile, there's much more concealment. So the flow of Simcha from Sukkot is insufficient to affect the whole year. Especially that now we don't even have that Simcha of Simcha's Beis HaSheva like they had in the Beis HaMikdash on Sukkot. And the example for this is, Tishrei is the month of the head, Rosh Hashanah Rashis. All of our limbs, all of our organs begin in the head. The head, the brain, contains every single component of the organism. There's nothing that happens, even in a nail, (laughs) that doesn't first happen in the brain. The brain is the central nervous system that contains and encompasses the entire body. But the way the energy is in the brain, it's still much more sublime. It's elevated. It's more transcendent. That's why... Just having a head won't keep you alive. We need the head. Without the brain, there's no life. Person, God forbids, the brain is lifeless. There can't be life. But then the energy has to flow down through the stem of the brain into every limb and every organ. In Tishrei, Avodah Hashem is in a head level. It's on a brain level. The service of God in Tishrei is connected to the Rosh. And over there, the energy is far greater and deeper and more intense to be able to manifest itself within the limbs of the body. So in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the experience of joy, the experience of God and His spirituality was much more in the atmosphere. It can permeate the body and permeate the person's experience in a more direct way. So therefore... Tishrei was enough. Sukkot was enough. Sukkot becomes the source of joy for the whole year. Because the whole year's avoid is in a much higher space. So it's closer to the head. But in a time of Golos, in a time of Golos, 
we have to work on experiencing the joy in every fiber of our being. We have to work through. Sometimes, you see this a lot today, sometimes when a person, certain things didn't have to be spoken about because they were just organic, they were just natural. They were communicated through the chicken soup (laughs) in a house. Sometimes you don't have to figure things out. You don't have to work them through because you're sometimes in an atmosphere where things are just flowing. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the atmosphere was such that things were just flowing. So Tishrei was enough. The fact that this energy was in the head was enough to infuse all of the limbs, the entire body, the whole year, which is like limbs of the body from the head. But in a time of Golos, there's much more blockages. He says there's concealment. And when there's blockages, I need to clear up those blockages. I need to be able to work on myself to become a conduit. If you don't have blockages, you don't have blockages. But Golos is a time of blockages. So you don't have to feel bad and kill yourself, but I have to realize that things don't always come just organic and naturally. So if I just have the source in the head, my body may be blocked. You know, sometimes we all know this. In my brain, I understand. This is a fascinating idea because... Remember, the Rebbe is saying this in the 60s. <laughs> and today, I go here again, I go back to this place because it's always fascinating for me. Today we know that this is so important in healing. Sometimes something is in my brain and I got it, I understand it. I should be doing this, I should be reacting this way, I shouldn't be reacting this way, I shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't help. Because the path from my head to my body is stuck. There's a blockage. The bu- young people in the sixties, that was that, that awareness was also happening. That's yes. happening. Yes, yes, so yes. Young, young people in the sixties. Yes, yes. And, and the unit are catching up now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Rebbe says it's all there, but it's in the head. But the body keeps the score. We need to have the simch in the body, in the limbs of the body, the limbs and the organs. In other words, the highway from the brain to the heart is a very short highway. It's twelve inches, thirteen inches. But that highway has the most traffic in the world. <laughs> the highway to travel. You think the Palisades gets back? <laughs> you think the Palisades and the George Washington Bridge and the FDR and the I-95 <laughs> get busy and hectic? You get into the highway between the brain and the heart and the chest and the torso and the back and the neck and all the aspects of the body. We have our chiropractors uh, with us. So we know the challenge of getting the chiyos, getting that flow seamlessly. So there was in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, when there was an openness in the world, so the holidays of Tishrei are sufficient to s- infuse the whole year, which is like the whole organism, with that life and with that joy. In a time of gullahs, there's more blockages. So even when my li- when the head is, is in a great place, and sometimes people say, I know this with myself, I, know this, I understand that this is what I should do. I understand that your brain has the right messages. That's not the issue. The issue is that there's a stuckness. There's a stuckness, and I have to honor that. I have to be aware of the sensations, of the experiences in my goof. And here there can be a blockage. And the fact that the head is inspired and uplifted and sublimated and joyous is not enough to be able to infuse me with it because it remains abstract and it doesn't translate viscerally into my into my guts, 
into my gut, into my intestines, into my kidneys, into my physical heart, and into my physical body. It remains intellectual. It remains sublime. It remains transcendent, which is wonderful. So now to tell this person, you have to learn more information. It's always good to learn more information, but that's not fixing the problem. Your issue is not information. (laughs) You have all the information. (laughs) You have the information. I don't need the information. I need the inspiration. Tell you a great story. I have a friend, his name is Rabbi Yankee Winner. Rabbi Yankee Winner is the mashpia of the yeshiva in Melbourne, Australia. And when he was a yeshiva student, he was sent to the Soviet Union in the 1980s to go bring Jewish books and Jewish items, tefillin and talesim and sidurim and svarim to Jews in Russia who were stuck and trapped behind the Iron Curtain. There was an underground network of Hasidim that lasted for 70 years from the onset of the Bolshevik Revolution. And they had ongoing study sessions, shiurim and Shabbos and Yomtev and Minyonim and Chadorim and schools. And they would get together and fabreng, but all underground in different cities throughout the Soviet Union. So Rabbi Winner, a Biankiv Winner, he was a Bachir, he came and he was invited to one of these underground gatherings. And they asked him to speak. And <laughs> he was an American boy and an innocent American boy. So he's talking to all these Jews in Russia. What does he talk about? He talks about um, how a Jew is always connected to Hashem and the need for commitment and passion and mysterious nefesh and dedication He's, so to speak, trying to inspire them. And at some point he says, an elderly chassid who's been, who's been around the block and has been to the gulag and back looks at him and says in English with a real Russian accent, he says, young man, young man, we don't need inspiration. We need information. The Jews in the Soviet Union, we don't need the inspiration. We're living this day in, day out. We're not American, spoiled Jews who have everything. We need information, right? But here it's the opposite. I have the information. We need inspiration. We don't need information. My head got the information, but my body needs to be opened up. So the Rebbe says, so you need something closer to your body. You need something closer, something more intimate, something more relevant. Not something coming from the big month, from the collective month, from the brainy month. You need something closer. It says, The ability in Golos to experience continuous joy, continuous feasting, this we take from Purim. And even Sukkot today, needs Purim. Even Sukkot, the joy of Sukkot today, needs the help of Purim. Because Purim is not from the month of Tishrei. Purim comes from the regular day of the year. And Purim was created in exile. Purim wasn't created in biblical times in the desert by Har Sinai. Purim was created in Persia, in a time of Gullus, after the destruction of the first of Mikdash. And Purim came as a result of exile. It was created in exile and as a result of exile. If not for the exile that the Jewish people were in, you wouldn't have this whole issue with Hashverish and Hama. Furthermore, Purim are days that you're allowed to do work. It's like a regular day of the year. 
True, today we have a minhig not to do work on Purim, as discussed in Shulchan Aruch in the laws of Megillah Tafresh Sadiq Vav, 696. But halachically, I'm allowed to do malacha on Purim. It's like a regular day of the year. So Purim has that connection to the more physical, mundane dimension of the Jew, and therefore can lift up the Jew in a regular day, in a mundane day, in a gullah's day, in a day of blockages, I could help bring in the Jew. That's where Purim becomes the source for Toiv Lev Mishtatamid in a time of gullah's. So, we're now going to finish this last paragraph here. Alpiza Yuvan the Chilik Bazet Sevishin Sefer Rambam on Shulchan Aruch. We're on page two thirteen. The Rambam bechibure that vegedin yanu vizesan an oich kitikunu b'shleim musam kolos man habayis vos bizman habayis is dinasinis koyach of simchas shul mitzvah from the simchas yisrael shabachagasukus shabemikdash. Mashenkin the Sefer on Shulchan Aruch that now vegedin emanoyagim bizman azeh or bizman azeh netman the mikin asinis koyach of inyan asimchas for they may have put him. And the fact comes that in from Tov Leiv Mishta Tamid Al Tamshach V'Chaisim from Ilchas Megillah Purim. Here we understand the difference of the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. The Rambam is a book that compiles all laws, even those that were relevant in the time of the Beis Hamikdash and will be relevant by Mashiach. The Rambam is the one sefer of halacha that includes literally all of the halachas. So the Rambam discusses that the joy of the whole year is a derivative of the joy of Sukkot. That's what the Rambam intimates in his structure of halacha, that the joy of the whole year when we serve Hashem, he says it right after, the joy in the Beis HaMikdash on Sukkot. Because the Rambam is discussing Avodah Hashem in the most ideal way, where there is no blockages, where there is a flow from the brain into the body. But the Shulchan Aruch only includes laws that are relevant today's days. Doesn't have any of the halachas of the Beis Hamikdash, the halachas of Mashiach, the halachas of Karbonis, only laws that are applicable today. And in these days, the main power of joy in every day of the year we get from Purim. So now we have the first explanation why Toiv Lev Mishtetamid comes as continuation and conclusion of the laws of Purim. Because Purim is the spiritual brain, so to speak, that allows Toiv Leiv Mishtatamit. Why Purim? Because Purim is not on the level of the brain of Tishrei. Purim is a level which is much more accessible. Purim was created in a time of exile, a time of blockages. It's a result of exile. It's a regular day. It's a day of other, not of Tishrei. Because of all these factors, Purim allows itself to become a source for the continuous attitude of celebration in exile and within a life that's often stressful and in the ups and downs and the fluctuations of life. So now we can understand why Toiv Leiv Mishtetamid, which is the end of the Shulchan Aruch. And remember, that's the second Tamid. We have the two Tamidim, Or of Hashem and joy with Hashem. The beginning is Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. The end is Toiv Leiv Mishtetamid. So how does that end? After the laws of Purim, because Purim is the holiday that is the source, it's the wellspring, it's the paradigm, it's the, it's the treasure chest from which we draw out that capacity to be able to infuse tamid all of the days and nights of our life as mundane and as simple as they are, or as elevated and aloof as they are, or as stressful and as difficult as they are. Whatever we're going through to be able to find that purposefulness, that relationship with God, that meaning which allows us to have the simcha. That's the difference between the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. This is the first step explaining why the Shulchan Aruch ends 
with the laws of Purim, and as an introduction to the last line, which is Toiv Lev Mishta Tamit. We'll see. We're going to go to yet a deeper dimension of this. That will be Bezer Hashem next year. I'll see you Thursday morning, 7.30, B'li Neder. And of course, tomorrow, Tuesday, we have our women's class at 12.45 p.m., 10.3.24 Shea Road, if you're coming in person, or live-streamed here on the yeshiva.net. Let me take a few questions, if there are. Go, go, ask. Inspiration. Yes, my I think we need to take time every single morning. We need to take time to really connect, to connect on a physical level. Um, you know, this is as a preparation for davening or before or after to do some meditation, to really uh, um, ground yourself, uh, to experience, to let go. It says in Shulchan Aruch, in Simen Tzadik Hei, Tzadik Ches, before davening, we need a meditation to let go of all the, you know, the stress and the distractions in our brain. People think meditation was invented by some non-Jews. In Shulchan Aruch it says, every morning before davening, I need to clear my mind. So I think all of us need to take some time in the morning where we can center ourselves, focus on ourselves, and really just allow our bodies and our souls to open up and become conduits of the divine energy and the divine presence. I think that's a beginning, to take every morning a few minutes to engage in this type of silent, tranquil connectivity and relationship. And when you daven, to take maybe one or few paragraphs and really focus on the words in a, in a very, uh, in a sincere, in a sincere way. That's one thing that I would, uh, I would suggest. Beautiful question. Yes. Yes, ask, ask. I born in Adam, Mazel tov. Yeah, so if you do other, I think I, I wrote last week that uh, we have to do uh, the Yom Hulaget, even Adam Aleph also. Mazel tov. Your birthday is other, that's beautiful. You should have a year of tremendous success. So this is explain a little bit why we should celebrate the two Adam of Ramidansu. We're going to see later. We're going to discuss more the first other later. Because that's really the challenge here, because this explanation is very nice, but it explains why Shulchan Aruch ends with Purim, not with Purim Katan. So that's going to be the next piece about the first month of Adar. We're going to get to that. Next question. Purim, as we know, is a rabbinic holiday, or it comes from the prophets. The calendar used to be set by the witnesses and by the Sanhedrin. When Purim was established by Mardechai, I assume that the calendar was created by witnesses. So Purim Katan only happens because the calendar is set. Was there a leap month of other when the calendar was done by witnesses? Probably because we still had to have Pesach in the spring, even if the month is set by witnesses. Great, great question. So a leap year always had to be done. Already in the earliest of times, they had to have a leap year because if Pesach would not come out in the spring, they had to add another month of other. So even before the calendar was set, 
the leap year would happen every few years. The court would convene and figure out if this is a year where you have to have a leap year. And they can do it even throughout the month of other, which means they can decide the last moment, as long as they're in the month of other, that we need a leap year. So there were leap years in the earliest times. Pesach Sheni is set a month after Pesach because they missed Pesach. Why isn't Purim Sheni set for a month later? Pesach would still be in the spring. Because Purim doesn't have a Purim Sheni. If I didn't read, if I didn't do Shalachmanes Matanas Lavyoinam on Purim, I can't do it a month later. Pesach has a unique dispensation, but Purim doesn't have that. But the truth is, Purim also has a few dates, right? They used to read the Megillah in some places on the 11th, 12th, 13th, but there's no Purim Sheni. So that concept is only, only by Pesach. Rabbi Yosef Karo, this was Rabbi Yosef Karo was born 1488, passed away 1575. Rabbi Moshe Isserlis was born 1530, and he passed away 1572. So he was much younger than Rabbi Yosef Karo, but he passed away before Rabbi Yosef Karo because he lived for a much shorter time. Thank you very much for that information. Yes, you can ask, yeah. Rabbi Aaron, go ahead. Um, I need to reflect my thoughts. No problem, no problem. Question. You said that the Shulchan Aruch starts off with the laws of waking up. But uh, really, the day begins with nightfall, not waking up. So it should start with nightfall, namely, Mairev Kishmashal Amitta. Okay, it's an interesting question. But uh, generally speaking, the Shulchan Aruch chooses to start the day from when we wake up, even though halachically the day starts from before, because it's focusing on a person's life. And in the middle of my sleep, there's not many laws, obviously, because I'm just trying to sleep. I mean, there are some laws. It's how you go to sleep, how you sleep, what I do in my sleep I'm responsible for to a certain degree, but generally speaking, the conscious focus of laws begins when I open when I open my eyes. Are you, are you saying... Yeah. Yeah, Lekel Goymer Eli. Talmud Yerushalmi says that uh, yeah. that when the Sanhedrin makes a leap year, it could change the nature of the girl. She was three years old. And as a result of that, there would be certain irreversible things in the body. But because they do the leap year, she goes back to the state of Psula Chayzun of virginity. Yeah, the power of Torah. It's an incredible teaching in Talmud Yerushalmi about the power of Torah. Yeah. Maybe this is the solution to obesity. If you can always be in a state of joyous celebration, Mishtatamit, this can help obesity. Yes. That's beautiful. The, the principle of having Hashem before me, I understood, is not only for the mornings. That's true. It's for always. So why is it mentioned in the opening? It seems like it's in the morning. No, that's his point. His point is that it's the opening of Shulchan Aruch because it's the foundation, it's the prerequisite, it's the, it's the prefix that includes the... Look at the Shulchan Aruch Erechaim as a book, right? This is the prefix. Not the prefix, what is it called? The, the prologue, the introduction, the, the yisoid that comes as a foundation, that is Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. There's a big difference between tipsy and inebriated. Yes, that's true. I know, I know that. The reason I, the reason I said that is because a person has to know themselves. Sometimes when people drink, if they become wild or they have, uh, they're prone to alcoholism or they become a sugar or they do hazardous things, then you're, they're not allowed to drink because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's damaging, you know? 
It could be, it could literally be, uh, it could literally destroy, it destroys people when drinking becomes part of their pattern. If somebody is a, is a worked out person and a refined person and once a year on Purim, they, they drink Adalayada, then good things are going to come out. Chevra, Toiv Lev, Mishta, Tomid. Somebody writes a story in the, on the yeshiva.net in the comments. Somebody says a story that uh, he's quoting from a sefer called Noyam Amorim. So he asks the question that somebody asked, why didn't the author of Shulchan Aruch begin with the night before? Just like the Torah begins, and the Mishnah is also, the Mishnah starts with Shema at night. And also, the Ramah, when he speaks about, when he opens this Shulchan Aruch, he adds that when you go to sleep, you should know in whose presence you're going to sleep. If the Shulchan Aruch decided to start with the morning, why does the Ramah go back to the night? So he says as follows, very interesting, that the Mechaber of the Shulchan Aruch starts off his first words, you have to wake up in the morning to serve God with the strength of a lion. But how could you wake up like a lion? As they used to say, if you went to sleep like a donkey, how could you wake up like a lion? If you went to sleep like a dog, you can't wake up like a lion. So the Ramos says, ooh, you want to wake up like a lion? Make sure you go to sleep and you know in whose presence you're sleeping. If you go to sleep like a lion, like a Jewish lion, then you'll be able to wake up like a lion. So really, the author of Shulchan Aruch wasn't only talking about the morning, he was also talking about the night, because to wake up a certain way, you have to go to sleep a certain way. Very nice. And he tells a story that uh, there was once uh, a Jew, Reb Yudala, and he went to Lublin to uh, get to know the mashgiach of, uh, of Yeshiva's Chachme Lublin, Reb Shimela And when he came to Lublin, they told him that the mashgiach already went home. So he went to the Yeshiva and he stayed there. Around 11 o'clock at night, he sees that the Yeshiva is full of action. There's a lot going on. The boys went out. They washed their hands. They uh, put on gartlach, they put on their belts, their gartel, they put on a hat, and they started to read Kriya Shema Shalamita with a lot of passion. It almost looked like it was Yom Kippur. When Rabbi Yehudla saw this, he took his bags and he went to the train to go home. They asked him, why are you going? You wanted to meet Rabbi Shibala, stay here for the night and tomorrow you'll meet him. So he says, I already know who he is. Because I want to do, see what is his power. When I see how his students are reading Kriya Shema at night, I see already his impact. I don't have to meet him. <laughs> I don't have to meet him. I see the students. I already, I already see him. In other words, he taught them not only how to wake up, but also how to go to sleep, because the way you go to sleep is the way you wake up. And we all know that. You know, you wake up, you wake up a, a certain way. It's because you go to sleep a certain way. Okay, Chavra. Have a beautiful day and an inspiring day and an uplifting day and a day of Toiv Lev, Mishtatamid, especially that it's in the month of the Adirishim. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.